in 2 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter is writing his last letter of his life. He knows that he will soon be put to death by the evil Roman emperor Nero. Now, Peter's final letter is short. He is desperate to remind the believers of who they are in Christ Jesus and to watch out for false teachers that would soon try to sell them a false gospel. They would try to lead them to a false Jesus. And Peter says of these false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2, he says, many will follow their depraved ways and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is idle, is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. Man, there's a lot to that, but I find this really fascinating because what Peter is saying is false teachers will come. Many will follow their depraved ways. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. That's all, check it out, future tense he's talking about. But then look, their condemnation was pronounced long ago. Do you see it? Future and past, Paul or Peter is saying that these false teachers and their followers would see destruction in the future, but that the judgment of their sin was pronounced long ago. How is that even possible? Why is Peter talking this way? Well, where we left off in Genesis chapter 3, the proto, proto-evangelium or proto-evangelium, do you remember God had found Adam, the first man and the first woman, hiding in their shame, in their sin? They had eaten of the tree that God had commanded them not to eat from. They and the world had fallen into sin. God cursed the serpent, and the snake still bears the scar of that sin, as does all of creation. Nothing is the same in creation. The man and the woman are not cursed directly, but must live with or under the curse until they die a physical death, and then they are raised back to life. And specifically, we explore that proto-evangelium would mean what it would mean for Adam and the woman and their offspring and descendants. That would be you and I, by the way. And Satan is told of this judgment to come to not only to him, not only the fallen angels, but to their descendants. What we saw what last week was that when not only the woman and the man would have descendants, but also Satan would have descendants. But that didn't mean that Satan would have physical children, but that he would have spiritual descendants that would follow in this pattern of sinfulness and reject God. That's what Peter is talking about in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Those would not believe, those who would not believe and indeed try to deceive those who, uh, what we call the elect or the believers, back in Genesis chapter 3, God says to Satan, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He says that to Satan. The proto-evangelium is the first gospel. And it's where we see the promise made to the woman that the redemption would be born through her. 
that in the middle of her pain of childbirth and child raising and living in a fallen, pain-filled world, that hope would be coming through her because of the promise of life, of evil's destruction, the Messiah would be born. Now we study and we are careful to study Genesis chapter 3 because if we get this foundation wrong, then everything else we believe would be wrong as well. So let's get the truth down solid. Let's study this because things like our gender, our roles, our purpose in life, our past, and most importantly, our future, we see in Genesis meaning the start of all of it right here. Well, let's pray together. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we want to learn. We want to know You. Would You just take the words of Your Holy Bible and help me preach the truth that's in here. And may we be changed by Your Holy Spirit. Help us to focus, God. It is in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Let's pick up the story in verse 16. God is speaking to this first woman. Her name is woman at this point, but that will change in just a few verses. God says to the woman as the man is standing next to her, watch what God says in verse 16. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with great effort. It's not great news, is it? The promise will be born through this first woman. That is good news. But the promise will be a painful one to bring. The word intensify doesn't just mean that she would have a baby and that the delivery of that baby would be painful, but check this out. It means that she will have more and more children and increase in number. Now think about that. Up until really the 20th century, married women might have a child every year or so. In many parts of the world, that's still true. Now combine that with this woman who we know who lived hundreds of years. Adam lived 900 years. We don't know how long she lived. We'll talk about this later in the series, but they didn't seem to age much near like anything what we do now. We know she was still having children at 130 when she had Seth. And the Bible tells us that she had other sons and daughters that are not listed in the Genesis account. If she did not age at the same rate, rate we could imagine that she could have children for hundreds of years. Hundreds of children. And as her daughters and her children and her grandchildren and her children's children and their children, they could all be having children for eight, nine hundred years. Now that's just speculation. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But my point is this. As the first woman is having her child alongside her children's children and they were all doing the same, the population could grow exponentially. That's so strange to think about, I know. Being in the delivery room with your great, 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 great granddaughter while she gives birth and you are still giving birth 500 generations later. But take a look at the second part of the curse the woman would suffer. God tells the woman this, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Hmm. 
Here it is, the conflict. She would desire him emotionally. She would desire him physically. And yet, he would rule over him. Folks, right here, every argument between man and woman started. Right here. The man and the woman will now struggle in the relationship. Their relationship had been perfect, but now their roles have been messed up. The woman would want to dominate the man. She would want to rule the the man and assume leadership. And not only that, the man would be bigger and stronger, and the woman would have to rely on the man for protection. Oh, As you know history of the world, the woman has lived in violence ever since. Think of sexual slavery, battery, all kinds of evil done to women. And it's not really until God establishes his people, his law, that protections are put in place. And as evil as much of feminism has turned into now, the original good ideals of equality, of equal value for women, but with very different function, come from the church and the teachings of Jesus who elevated women's value. It has been the Christian churches that have fought for the value and the care of women, just like bringing the value of life to children as we do now. Christ gave value to women in his ministry as well. And isn't it interesting how the world tries to turn that upside down and to tell Bible-believing Christians that they hate women? Is that messed up or what? I I want you to notice something very important here. The curse that the woman has to live under with the relationship of her husband and the pain of childbearing is directly tied to who she had been created to be before the fall into sin. What I want you to see is that this is the result of sin, not of God simply deciding this thing should happen. We have said here, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay. That's certainly true here. The serpent, Satan, had promised her that her eyes would be open and that she would be like God. But that had only been partially true. Her eyes had been opened. And yes, God knows that good, the difference between good and evil like the woman and like the man and Satan now. But you see, God knows of evil outside himself. God cannot be evil. That would be like saying God is somehow less than he is. That simply cannot happen. But Adam and the woman now know good and evil within themselves, experience, because they had lived it, and it had caused their shame. Now God's focus turns to Adam. Remember, Adam and the woman have both disobeyed God's command, but their sin is different in that Adam had been the head, had been the lead. He was the rule of the garden. He was to rule it. He had been the captain of the garden underneath God. He was God's highest creation. And But what had been Adam's sin here? He had listened to the woman, his wife. He had listened to the serpent and believed them instead of believing God. Now here's the thing. We all have faith and we all use faith. The difference is, though, what do we place our faith in? God or something else? Watch what happens 
Watch what God says in verse 17. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, do not eat. Eat it. God confronts him with his sin. Do you see Adam's sin is different from the woman? And the curse he will live under will be different as well. But notice, like the woman, the curse he will live under is directly tied to what he had been created to be before the fall into sin. God tells Adam this. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. Things have just changed. The way life would work has just changed. Guys, can I just let you in on a truth so big and yet the world plays like this is nothing. This right here is why you can't seem to get ahead. It's why you can't seem to win. Young men, you may not be able to see this yet, but you will, and you don't even have to be a Christian to see this. No amount of success can fill the need you have to succeed. No amount of power, no amount of sex, no amount of strength or accumulating stuff or toys can do it. Men from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich and even the most powerful men throughout history, you can't find your true purpose on this earth. Do you know why? Because you, my friend, were not created for this earth. One not corrupted by sin and it's cursed is what you were created for. It's why men and women long for something else, something that you can't find in this broken place we live in. But the world and Satan try to convince you that the next thing is just around the corner if you'll just follow what he says. Just follow me and I'll lead you to purpose. Watch what God tells Adam. The world will produce for him. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. What's he talking about? He's talking about death. He's talking about a physical death that would happen. Now, why is life so hard? Here it is, right here. You want to know why there is so much beauty and yet at the, so, at the same time so much pain and ugliness? Here it is. Before the fall, man simply had to reach up and pluck the the fruit of the tree, his food, and he could eat it. But now, after sin had entered the world, he would have to bend over and work the ground by the sweat of his brow. But the ground would not cooperate. One of the things people ask me as a pastor is this. If God is so good and loves us so much and he's so powerful, then why doesn't he do something about all this mess, all this evil? And it's a good question. The answer is both short and long. Let me give you the short answer first. The short answer is that God allows us to go ahead and die. Believe it or not, that's a good thing if we're Christians. 
We are not stuck in this place, but we can return to the garden. We can return to right relationship with God through Jesus. We can escape sin. We can escape pain and suffering and death. So the short answer is God has done something for us. He is allowing us to die. Now, the long answer is what the Bible answers totally is how it all works and the death of Jesus for our sins and the resurrection that he will give us and the new heaven and the new earth. That's what the Bible's about. Listen, for both man and the woman, they live under the curse of their own sin. They live under the effects of this. Even though they have their own thing, they live under each other's curse as well. Look at the second half of verse 19. For you are dust and you will return to dust. But God, praise God, he does not leave us there, right? The Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Ah, oh, praise God. Hey, that's worth a big thumbs up or a heart or whatever a little button you've got. Let's see him just go up there right quick. Seriously, where Satan meant for us to die and God's most precious creation would be lost to him, God says, no, I won't lose them. I love them. Those are mine. I will let them die a physical death and they will be that will be a gift but i will buy their freedom back through my son god had made the promise back in 15 now i want you to see something very very significant in verse 20 it's a short verse but it has tremendous meaning because in it we see adam switch his faith from satan and his lies to god and his promise of life and redemption look at verse 20 the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. I don't want you to miss this. It's a short verse, but so much is packed in it. Let me point out something that liberal Christianity has tried to teach. They say something like Adam and Eve were just kind of two ancient people from among many, many people, or they're the prototype. What they're trying to do when they do that is to meld the false evolutionary theories with the Bible. But Scripture clearly states right here that Eve is the mother of all the living. There were no other people. It starts here. That means you and me and every person ever born was born from the descendants of Adam and Eve. Don't miss this. The woman had been named by Adam when he first saw her. Isha, woman. That was her name. But now, as an act of faith in God's promise, he names the woman Eve with uh, which means the breath or breath of life. In short, it means life. After all, all life would be born from this first woman. Just think about it. They had not witnessed a birth. 
These two had never seen a child, much less a baby. They were created fully adult. And I'm assuming when God is telling Eve earlier that childbirth would be painful, she doesn't get what that means. She has never experienced physical pain. But in faith, Adam, not knowing what this all meant, that a child would be born to the couple, what's a baby, what's born, that the child of the promise would come. He acts in faith, Adam acts in faith. I think they must have thought, hey, she will have one child, we will have our promise of redemption, and we're back with God. Boom, right there. In any case, Adam demonstrates his faith right here. Now remember, every person has faith. The question is, what do you place your faith in or on? Adam places his faith in God's promise of the future, of the redemption. And the one included, that faith included his death. He must have thought, well, God formed me once. He can form me again. And indeed, that is what will happen to Adam and to you and I when Christ Jesus raises us from the dead. If we're in Christ, in that truth, we know Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the rest of the day, we, uh, we close our eyes at the end in death without fear. For us, our death will only be a gateway to life when we are created to live without sin. But for those who have not placed their faith in Christ Jesus, by the time they die, this world is as close to heaven as you will ever get. Why? Why don't you turn your heart to Jesus? Why? Okay, one more verse for this week, and then we'll land the plane. All right, we got a few more verses but it's packed with meaning. Here it is, verse 21. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. God makes them clothes. They're naked. They tried to make themselves clothes. Oh, please get them, get this down at the very core of you. This is a symbol, a foreshadowing foreshadowing of what Christ has done for us. The man and the woman had found themselves naked in shame of their sin, hiding from God, hiding their shame as best they can. But then God promises to deliver them from their sin, from spiritual death. Adam and Eve desperately tried to cover their shame with leaves, but it had not worked. How do we know that? Because they hid from God. Their shame was not just their nakedness, but their sin. So God takes one of his own animals that had been lovingly created for this perfect garden, and he kills the animal. He sacrifices it and uses the animal skin to cover the man and the woman. Do you see it? God pays to cover the sin and the shame of Adam and Eve. Now, we're not told what kind of animal, but personally, I think it was a lamb because the lamb's skin is soft and durable and because this little lamb gave up its life to cover the shame of God's people. Isn't it interesting that later on in Scripture, in Exodus, Chapter 12, when God's people, the Hebrews, were being held in slavery in Egypt, God sends one last plague on the Egyptians. Do you remember this? 
God warns Moses that he will send an angel of death over the land of Egypt that will kill every firstborn male, both human and animal. But to his own people, God says, if you kill a lamb and place the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your home, the angel of death would pass over your home and everyone will be protected. A lamb covers his people gives me goosebumps to think about when I read the Old Testament prophet Isaiah when he foretells the death of Christ Jesus on the cross 750 years before it happens. What that language Isaiah use, uses in chapter 53 verse 7 he, Jesus, was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. God covers the shame. And it doesn't it make a tear form in your eye and maybe you get a little catch in your throat when you realize that when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by his meeting, John stops everyone and points to Jesus and he says this in John 1, 29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, praise God. We started with the words of the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2. And then look what he said in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. Peter says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors. Now he's talking to Christians. Not with perishable things, like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Oh, do you get the depth? Do you get the meaning of this? Do you see from the very beginning that Jesus was our lamb, slain to cover our shame, our sin, so that when God sees him, he doesn't see our shame. He sees the precious love of his son, his righteousness. You see, we love God because he first loved us. The apostle Paul tells us this in Romans 5, 8, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He covers our shame. He covers our sin. Like Adam and Eve, as Christians, we wait for the return of Christ Jesus. We live, yes, in a, pain, a painful, sin-filled world with a body that still desires to sin. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven. Your shame has been covered by the Lamb. Why? Because you have believed in faith of who Jesus claims to be, namely the Son of God, or the name He is also known by, the Lamb of God. Would you pray with me? Just bow your head. God, our Father, we are just humbled and in awe of who you are and what you have done for us, God to love us while we were still hiding from you, trapped in the sin of our own making, to offer to pay for our covering 
of our sin through the death of your Son, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Father, I pray, I pray that truth, that reality would sink in deep into our souls. And just to show us how to live with that truth. Christ Jesus, for the Christians hearing my voice, help us to live with that purpose of building your kingdom here on earth. We want to follow you, Jesus. Help us. Help us to share and to live out that gospel, to speak with people. Help them uh, to know who you are because of how we live and what we say. And Father, I pray for the salvation of those who do not call Jesus their Lord and Savior. Call them from spiritual death into spiritual life right now. As you just continue to pray with me in your home right now. For those of you who are not Christ followers, you are not saved. Can I just ask you, do you hear it? God calling to you right now? Like, do you think you should follow him? If this is making sense to you right now, if you uh, believe in Jesus as your Savior, time to follow him and confess your sins. Just take the moment right now. Have this conversation with God. It's what we call prayer. Have a conversation with God. You pray and you listen. You have heard God speak through his word. Now respond. Offer your life for his, your sin for his righteousness, his death for your life. Will you do it? Just take a moment right now to, to pray to God and say, I believe Jesus to be the son of God. I believe God, you raised him from the dead and I believe he is coming back to take all his followers home. You have been forgiven of your sin. Now repent, turn from it. Begin to live for Jesus. Well, let's wrap up our time of prayer by saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. <laughs>